This episode features discussions of eugenics and torture that listeners may find disturbing. Caution is advised, especially for those under 13. Due to the dark nature of the object discussed within this episode, listener discretion is advised. The Dybbuk box is rumored to curse anyone who opens it, even those who simply graze its wooden sides. Consider yourself forewarned. Shortly after midnight on September 1st, 2018, three masked armed men broke into a mansion in the San Fernando Valley. One of the robbers struck a resident with a gun and demanded to see the home's owner, Grammy-nominated rapper Post Malone. But the intruders hadn't done their research. Malone no longer owned the home. He'd previously moved and had no intention of returning. That didn't stop the burglars from stealing $20,000 worth of cash, jewelry, and electronics. When Malone found out he was the intended target of a break-in, the news didn't surprise him. It was just one in a string of serious, often near-death experiences for him. And he had a strange explanation. He'd been cursed by an evil spirit, bound to a Jewish artifact. The Dybbuk Box. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our first episode in a special four-part series on Cursed Objects, where we examine some of history's most possessed possessions. Today we're discussing the Dybbuk Box, a haunted antique wine case purchased on eBay in 2004. Can evil inhabit ordinary objects? Turn up the volume on your ordinary device and find out. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, 
You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In 2004, knickknacks, oddities, and unusual items filled eBay's auction rooms. A single cornflake sold for more than one British pound, and a few tablespoons of water went for $455. The users selling the water claimed it had touched Elvis Presley's lips at a 1977 concert in North Carolina. A partially eaten 10-year-old grilled cheese sold for $28,000. According to some, marks on the sandwich bore a striking resemblance to the biblical Virgin Mary. And in February 2004, the same month Facebook first launched, eBay user Spasmolytic listed item number 370-134-7648, an antique wine cabinet. Made of reddish wood with intricate iron adornments, the cupboard had a small drawer just above its legs and an inscription of a Hebrew prayer inside that reportedly read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his honored kingdom forever. In addition to selling the cabinet, Spasmolytic promised that the highest bidder would receive all of its contents listed in the description. Two 1920s wheat pennies, two locks of hair bound together with string, one small granite statue said to be engraved with the Hebrew word shalom, one dried rosebud, one golden goblet, and one candlestick holder with cast iron octopus legs. But the most unusual and enticing part of the listing was the wine box's origin story. Spasmolytic's real name was Josef Nitsky. He was a college student in Kirksville, Missouri. One year earlier, he'd purchased the cabinet on eBay from an antiques collector in Oregon named Kevin Manis. Manis had originally purchased the item around 2001 at the estate sale of a 103-year-old Jewish woman named Havila, who immigrated to America from Poland. Before passing, Havila apparently confessed that the box contained a malevolent spirit, a dybbuk. In Jewish folklore, when a person died after committing terrible sins in life, their soul was sometimes not allowed to move on or transmigrate. The resulting evil spirit, a dybbuk, would then attempt to attach itself to an earthly item or a living human. In Havla's case, her wine cabinet. Manis purchased the cabinet as a present for his mother's birthday before hearing Havla's story. After he learned of its sentimental value, Manis offered to let Havla's daughter keep the box, even though he'd already paid. That's when things took a bizarre turn. Havla's daughter became indignant, Manis allegedly wrote, She raised her voice to me and said, You bought it. You made a deal. We don't want it. Then she began to cry, asked me to leave, and quickly walked away. After the sale, Manis stored the box in the basement of his antiques business. That day he ran an errand, leaving a saleswoman in charge of the store. Not long after he left, he received a hysterical phone call from his employee. She was scared. Someone had broken into the store. 
She heard shattering glass and swearing coming from the basement. As Manis told her to call 911, his cell phone went dead. Manis raced back to his business. When he arrived, the lights were out. The employee who had just called him was sitting on the floor, sobbing in a corner of his office. And the whole place smelled like cat urine. When his eyes adjusted to the dark, Manis noticed that all the light bulbs had burst. Slowly, he crept down the stairs into the basement, expecting to find intruders, but he didn't see anyone. By the time Manis went back upstairs, his employee had run away. She later informed him that she would not be returning to work. In his own eBay product description, Manis reportedly wrote, then things got worse. On October 31st, 2001, Halloween night, he gave the cabinet to his mother at his store. Manis planned to help load it in her car, but before he did, he needed to attend to some other business. He only left her alone for a few minutes. When he returned, his mother was sitting in a chair with tears streaming from her unresponsive eyes. She had suffered a stroke. Manis rushed her to the hospital. She eventually regained consciousness, but the stroke rendered her partially paralyzed and temporarily unable to speak. Writing and other fine motor skills proved difficult, so to communicate, she pointed to letters of the alphabet. After seeing a doctor, Manis's mother tried to tell him something. Her fingers pointed to letters, N-O-G-I-F-T, no gift. Then, H-A-T-E-G-I-F-T, hate gift. After acquiring the box, Manis's health also apparently suffered. He smelled jasmine and cat urine wherever he went. He saw dark shapes in his peripheral vision. He began having terrible nightmares. Manis wrote about one in particular, which was shared in the 2004 eBay listing. In his dreams, someone close to him would transform into a scary elderly woman and viciously attack him. Apparently, his siblings, who had each come into contact with the cabinet, all described experiencing the same dream. In the eBay description, Manis wrote that he wanted to destroy the Dybbuk box, but that he feared releasing the spirit. He listed the dimensions of the wine cabinet and concluded, Help me. Help arrived in 2003 when Josef Nitsky a.k.a. eBay user Spasmolytic, purchased the box with a winning bid of $140. Less than a year later, he put it up for auction again. According to him, he'd been doubtful about the so-called haunted box, and he didn't believe in the paranormal. But he still wanted it out of his life. Nitsky lived with six roommates in an old apartment building near Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. Locals called it the Pirate House because of a skull and crossbones flag that flew on its roof. According to Nitsky's 2004 eBay listing, after he brought the box home, two of his roommates started complaining about a burning sensation in their eyes. Another became spontaneously sick, and when their apartment became infested with bugs, Nitsky and his roommates found the Dybbuk box in the corner of the house 
inexplicably open. Nitsky dismissed the events as coincidences, even after the list of unfortunate happenings grew longer. Throughout the wine cabinet's stay, he and his roommates experienced a broken finger, strange smells, damaged electronics, a case of bronchitis, and dead mice. By late January 2004, Nitsky had moved out of the apartment and he took the Dybbuk box with him. But in his new place, things had apparently gotten worse. Nitsky claimed that he started smelling ammonia wherever he went and seeing dark blurs in the corners of his eyes. He frequently had to replace broken light bulbs. And in less than a week, half his hair fell out. He wrote, I'm in my early 20s, and I just got a clean blood test back from the doctors. Maybe it's stress-related. I don't know. On February 9th, 2004, Nitsky sold the box on eBay to a user who also lived in Kirksville, Missouri. Despite the reputed bad luck, Nitsky sold it for $280, double what he'd originally paid. The winning bidder was Jason Haxton, a curator at the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville. Haxton had heard about the box through a student intern at the museum, one of Nitsky's old roommates. After he won, Haxton messaged his friend Michael Callahan. When the Dybbuk box arrived, Haxton and Callahan opened it together. According to Callahan, the eeriest part was the coins and the hair still inside the box. He noted, those are artifacts that are real links to real people. The day after the box arrived, Haxton told reporters, I woke up with my right eye looking like it had been poked. From there, his health supposedly got worse. Haxton experienced searing stomach pain, nightmares, hives, and choking spasms. Despite owning no pets, Haxton reported strong odors of cat urine and jasmine, and his son reportedly saw strange apparitions in the corners of his vision. Scared, Haxton had an ark built to hold the box, lined with gold leaf and made from acacia wood. In an effort to ward off spirits, he put Torah scrolls and an antique 500-year-old Jewish book inside as well. Then Haxton moved the Dybbuk box to an undisclosed location in northeastern Missouri. His life and health allegedly returned to normal. Until... In October 2004, Hollywood filmmaker Sam Raimi, director of Spider-Man and the Evil Dead franchise, read an article in the Los Angeles Times about a haunted antique wine box. Known for his love of horror, Raimi quickly reached out to both its former and current owners, Kevin Manis and Jason Haxton. Raimi wanted to secure the story rights to the Dybbuk box. Coming up, the Dybbuk Box travels to Las Vegas. Harcasters, you know the world can be chaotic and unpredictable. But how far would you go to turn the tides of favor in your direction? In the newest Spotify original from Parcast, we're taking a closer look at bad omens, good luck charms, and age-old traditions that just might have the power to change our fates. Each episode of Superstitions presents a new drama that unpacks a different belief. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? 
Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? How can you go through life always avoiding the number 13? And why should you try? They may seem mystical, unusual, completely illogical. But one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Between 2001 and 2004, a small, allegedly cursed wine cabinet was bought and sold by three different people. Each one reported similar stories of bad luck. In fall of 2004, Hollywood director and producer Sam Raimi caught wind of these accounts and eventually secured the story rights to the Dybbuk box. Production on Raimi's adaptation titled the possession, began seven years later in early 2011. Throughout those seven years, the box's owner, museum curator Jason Haxton, made sure the box stayed hidden at its undisclosed location, far away from his family. Haxton even offered to send the wine cabinet to Ramey in Los Angeles, but the filmmaker refused. In his words, I didn't want anything to do with it. I'm scared of the thing. Everyone on the set of The Possession shared Raimi's fears. Screenwriters Juliette Snowden and Stiles White told the Riverfront Times, We were like, hell no, we don't want to see it. Don't send us a picture of it. And yet, production for the film still encountered bizarre mishaps. A neon light inexplicably exploded on set. And five days after filming wrapped, the Vancouver storage house that held all the movie's props burned to the ground. The mystique of the Dybbuk box grew for years, perpetuated by the media. Then, in 2017, reality TV host and paranormal investigator Zach Bagans bought the box for his haunted museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. For just over $40 a ticket, Visitors could peer through a glass case and see the Dybbuk box for themselves. Bagans claimed he was too scared to open it when it arrived. So he planned a live-streamed unveiling for a Halloween special in 2018. A few months before that event, Bagans invited rapper-singer Post Malone to see the artifact. After Malone arrived, Bagans allegedly placed the ashes of a dead woman on top of the Dybbuk box. Ultimately, Bagans didn't open the cabinet that night, but he did remove the glass case and touch it. And according to Malone, he touched Bagans' shoulder afterwards, making the recording artist the latest victim of the Dybbuk's curse. Shortly after his encounter with the box, on August 21, 2018, 
Post Malone boarded a private airplane in New York following the MTV Music Video Awards. As Malone's plane took off, its tires blew out. Luckily, the plane was able to make an emergency landing, and no one was injured. But this incident was only the first of the rapper's troubles. Eleven days later, three armed men broke into a house they thought was Malone's and stole cash, jewelry, and phones. The burglars reportedly demanded to see the rapper himself. It's unclear what they would have done to him if they found him. Six days after the break-in, a car accident totaled Malone's Rolls-Royce near Santa Monica Boulevard in Los Angeles. The rapper and his assistant were inside the car. Fortunately, they escaped unscathed. Malone never reported any more strange happenings connected to the box. But the story of the Dybbuk box didn't end in 2018. In 2020, after the outbreak of COVID-19, Zach Bagans, the latest owner of the Dybbuk box, announced he'd film a special series of his Travel Channel television show called Ghost Adventures Quarantine. Following health guidelines, Bagans and three friends shot two weeks' worth of material in his Vegas museum, occasionally spending the night. The final episode of the four-part series focused on the Dybbuk box. It opened with an interview with Kevin Manis, the antiques dealer who allegedly owned the box from 2001 to 2003. Bagans asked Manis what might happen if he were to open the box. Manis responded, you could get killed. But Bagans and his friends ignored Manis's warning. Bagans opened the Dybbuk box, held it in his arms, and proceeded to walk around the museum with it. According to Bagans, as he did, he felt rage bubble up inside of him. But nothing particularly supernatural happened to him or his crew that night. Then, three days after filming, one crew member's dog died. But as of this recording, no further Dybbuk-related incidents have been reported. The story of the Dybbuk box is definitely creepy. But let's take a step back to examine the evidence. When Sam Raimi's film The Possession premiered in theaters in August 2012, a line on the movie's poster read, Based on a true story. In reality, one of the Dybbuk Box's former owners, Jason Haxton, had already published a book casting doubt on the original story by Kevin Manis, the furniture shop owner. According to Haxton, he'd done a little digging, and he found no proof of a 103-year-old Jewish woman named Havila Jewiski dying in the Portland area around 2001, as Manis had reported. Considering that the woman was allegedly a Polish Holocaust survivor, Haxton felt certain there should have been records. Suspicious, he reached out to Manis's siblings, and they had some revealing news. Despite their brother's claims that they had all experienced nightmares, none of them actually had. When all this got back to Manus, he didn't like being called a liar. He blamed his siblings' accounts on strained family relations, saying they wanted him to look bad. But his family wasn't the only group of people with damning stories to tell. Several of Manus's former co-workers reported that Manus approached them about an idea. 
to literally make up a fake story about a haunted Jewish wine box. In light of this, Manus's story had little to no credibility. As for Yosef Nitsky, the student who owned the cabinet between Manus and Haxton, he essentially fell off the face of the earth. After he sold the box, his online presence seems to have disappeared. In 2012, the Riverfront Times, a St. Louis-based newsweekly, tried to contact Nitsky. They reached out to both his roommates and parents. The roommates never answered, but reporters did hear back from Nitsky's parents. They stated simply, he does not want to speak to you. He does not live here. They failed to mention whether or not he was okay. And yet, even after uncovering so many suspicious accounts, Haxton himself never stopped believing in the Dybbuk box's curse. Maybe because he'd experienced its destructive powers firsthand. Or maybe it's because, while researching his book, Haxton learned that the history of the Dybbuk box might actually be connected to real, verifiable evil. One day, Haxton casually mentioned the Dybbuk box and its alleged original owner, Havila, to his mother-in-law. According to Haxton, his mother-in-law immediately got a faraway look in her eyes and replied, Oh yes, I remember that. I was a young girl then. There were all those children and the Jewish people on that boat trying to get here. It was in the papers every day for weeks. As soon as she had spoken, a glass chandelier fell from the ceiling. Coming up, the Dybbuk Box's connection to the eugenics movement. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Now back to the story. Between 2004 and 2018, Jason Haxton owned an allegedly cursed antique wine cabinet commonly known as the Dybbuk Box. During a conversation with his mother-in-law about the box, she commented that the artifact reminded her of an article she'd seen about a ship full of Jewish refugees. As soon as she mentioned the story, a chandelier fell from the ceiling, narrowly missing them. Haxton took the near-death experience as an omen. The Dybbuk box was saying, pay attention. So he decided to take his mother-in-law's vague statements, referring to old newspaper accounts of refugee boats and the wine cabinet, seriously. Haxton's research led him to Harry Hamilton Laughlin, an American whose work in eugenics directly contributed to the rise of Nazi Germany. In 1910, Laughlin was hired by American biologist Charles Davenport the father of the 20th century eugenics movement, and went to work at the newly formed Eugenics Record Office in New York. Under Davenport's wing, Laughlin became one of the most outspoken advocates of eugenics in America. In 1920, 
Laughlin testified before the House Committee on Immigration and Naturalization. He said that immigration from Southern and Eastern Europe was mostly Italians and Jewish people. In his so-called scientific opinion, he believed that these immigrants lessened the genetic stature of the American population. Impressed by his testimony, the American House Committee on Immigration appointed Laughlin as their expert eugenics agent, an incredibly sinister title. Two years later, Laughlin published a book, Eugenical Sterilization in the United States. He would go on to argue against what he referred to as genetic undesirables. He believed that states should forcibly sterilize the mentally ill and differently abled, along with, quote, orphans, 'er ne'er-do-wells, and the homeless. And people acted on his ideas. People like Dr. Albert S. Pretty. At the time, Pretty was the superintendent of the Virginia State Colony for Epileptics and the Feeble-Minded. The institution started as a facility to care for people who lived with epilepsy. But in time, Pretty expanded their mission to include housing and detaining those he considered feeble-minded. Feeble-minded became a dangerous, unsubstantiated umbrella term for Pretty's whims. For example, he saw female sexual promiscuity as a moral defect worthy of institutionalization. He incarcerated women simply for getting pregnant out of wedlock. In 1924, Pretty and Virginia Senator Aubrey Strode drafted the Virginia Sterilization Act. Senator Strode supported the law because, according to him, too many so-called defective people were imposing financial burdens in Virginia. Sterilization would stop the transmission of insanity, idiocy, imbecility, epilepsy, and crime. And the bill passed. On the same day that it became law, Pretty recommended that 18 of his female patients be forcibly sterilized, including Carrie Buck, a young woman who became pregnant after being the victim of rape. The state of Virginia eventually acted on Pretty's recommendation. Carrie Buck became the first person to be operated on under the Virginia Sterilization Act. She was just 21 years old. The same year the Sterilization Act passed, the United States Congress passed the Immigration Restriction Act. It cut the amount of immigrants America would allow inside by nearly 80%. Naturally, Laughlin had a hand in it. In the build-up to World War II, he had delivered a special report to Congress saying, offer no exceptional admission for Jewish refugees from Germany. Look upon the incoming immigrants not essentially as in offering asylum, but as sons-in-law to marry our own daughters. He argued that Jewish refugees were not suitable for breeding. By 1939, Nazi Germany had done America one better. Largely inspired by Laughlin's work, they closed almost all of their borders. And yet, one small ship managed to escape. In May of 1939, 937 Jewish refugees filed onto SS St. Louis in Hamburg, Germany. They had applied for American visas and planned to wait in Cuba for their paperwork to be approved. 
But after two weeks at sea, they learned that the Cuban government refused to accept them. The ship changed course and headed towards the United States. But while attempting to dock off the coast of Florida, the passengers were told that America refused to take them as well. The passengers sent appeals to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but received no response. The United States was still operating under the recommendations of men like Harry Laughlin, and therefore wouldn't admit the Jewish refugees. Eventually, the SS St. Louis was forced to return to Nazi-occupied Europe. The story of the St. Louis was what Jason Haxton's mother-in-law was referring to that day at lunch when the chandelier almost crushed them. For some inexplicable reason, the very mention of the Dybbuk box drew her mind to a thousand Jewish people begging for salvation, and their cries falling on deaf ears. For all we know, Havila, the original owner of the wooden wine box, was one of the refugees on the boat. Maybe it's not a coincidence that when Harry Laughlin retired, he settled in his hometown, Kirksville, Missouri, the very same city where Josef Nitsky and Jason Haxton all lived when they owned the Dybbuk box. In fact, Harry Laughlin's estate still exists today. It's now part of Truman State University, but if you stand on its front lawn, you might be able to see the Pirate House, where the Dybbuk box supposedly haunted Josef Nitsky and his six college roommates. When Haxton made these connections, he was blown away. He told the Riverfront Times, if the Dybbuk box had something to tell, it was about Harry Laughlin. For some, the story of the Dybbuk box can easily be discounted. In an online profile of Kevin Manis, it was written that his short story about the Dybbuk box was purchased by Sam Raimi and made into a feature film. A pretty clear implication that Manis made it all up. But Haxton still remains open to the idea of the Dybbuk box's curse, even knowing that Manis may have lied. We should note, however, that Haxton himself had a financial incentive. Perpetual rumors about the Dybbuk box likely boosted sales for his own book. After all, his 18-year-old daughter once told the press, I don't have anything to do with the Dybbuk box. It just buys me things. Hoax or not, the longevity and breadth of the Dybbuk box story is impressive. From eBay to Hollywood to Vegas, it infiltrated pop culture and stood as a symbol of the cruelty that humans, like Harry Laughlin, are capable of. It's also a reminder that if people are looking for meaning in something, they'll often find it. Whether it's Elvis's drinking water, the Virgin Mary on toast, or an evil spirit bound to a wine cabinet, humans often believe that objects can carry traces of the extraordinary with them. Today, buying a haunted object online might be harder than you think. In 2012, the same year The Possession hit theaters, eBay changed their stance on cursed objects. They instituted an intangible items policy. It stated, intangible items or things that buyers can't confirm that they've received are not allowed. Among the examples are a ghost in a jar, 
someone's soul, and spells or haunted items. Such things are no longer welcome on the popular internet shop. So, if you're looking for a spirit or a curse to call your own, maybe try a yard sale. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode about a mysterious car crash and the ghost that may have caused it. For more information on the Dybbuk box, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Riverfront Times article, Devil's Wine Box, Missouri's Tie to the Possession, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Amy Carver, with writing assistance by Allie Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions. 